Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. Please welcome your hosts, Patrick Allen and Matt Verderam. Welcome in. It's the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. How long did I sit there staring at my computer screen like an idiot? <laughs> you Pretty much the way that we just stared at receivers running around with <laughs> for no good reason. Well, you just took a sack. You know you what I did? You just took a meltdown sack. <laughs> I did. I went, I went full Patrick Mahomes. Uh, this is the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. Patrick Allen, Matt Connor here with you. I was, I was looking at the YouTube. I was talking to the folks in the YouTube chat on YouTube. We're in Restream, so there's a bit of a delay. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, five seconds to go. Here we go. And then I realized I'm live. I should probably switch tabs. So, yeah, we're off to a rocking start here. Right? Like, I just let you sit there like a, like a deer in headlights. I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm not the host. He's the host. I'm going to let him host. Let him. That's great. Richard will, let, Richard, Richard will edit that out. He'll cut that down a little <laughs> bit for us, I'm sure. What's up, everybody out there in the chat? Appreciate your support. Uh, I hope everybody's doing okay. I know it's been a rough couple of days. Um, my hangover has gone away. So I'm, I'm doing much better there. I feel like a human being again, although I still have these waves of, of, of sadness every, you know, every so often I realize that the season is over and, and I just go back, get transported back to a couple of days ago again. Matt Connor, we didn't get a chance to talk to you after the game because you were doing your thing and, and posting articles on the site. How are you doing? How'd you handle everything? Well, you thought you thought that's what I was doing, but I was crying into my pillow. I was playing <laughs> Melissa Etheridge and just crying on my pillow for hours, hours Melissa. and hours on end. Love her. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was tough. I mean, you know, like I we we've all said the same things, heard the same things. I've I've been very vocal on on uh, on Twitter. That's that's uh, I've been vocal in a written format. Sounds like funny right. to say, but right. um, you know that that like. I don't want to take anything away from the Bengals at all. And we're going to watch them and, and maybe they'll go on to do great things in the Super Bowl. And, and we will go, oh, see, there they were. They were good all along. But I just can't get over the fact that, you know, I, I said, hey, this feels like we delivered the game to them. Like the FedEx guy who just comes to my house. We dropped it off on their porch. We even took a picture so they knew that we delivered it. And then we walked away. I mean, it was just, yeah. I just don't get it. And um, and and the more I think about the makeup of the Bengals, like like it's crazy because a Bengals fan could say, "Look, we beat you twice." Like like shut up. And I would get that. I would really get it. Yeah. yeah. And yet there's and yet there's a part of me that's like, man, you want a conference with Big Ben, Baker Mayfield, and and uh, <laughs> half half of of Lamar Jackson. Right. Right. Like you like you want an easy con- a division. The Chiefs imploded totally. Like you know, like I don't think there's as much credit there to really give them. And I and I just think it's it's um it's 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 harder to watch a meltdown than it is a beatdown. Yeah, I and I get it. You know, look, if 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 this were the Chiefs, right? If we were the upstart team and nobody believed in us, and we beat a team twice, um, in in, in like four weeks or whatever, and, and made it to the Super Bowl, and people were still saying that we weren't as good as them, we'd all be furious. We'd be all be like, "You guys are crazy." Yeah. Totally. But, and yes, I'm biased. The Chiefs are better than the Bengals. I know they just lost to them twice. So maybe they're not as good as, as, as at executing as the Bengals are. But the Chiefs are a better football team. They have more talented players. They have a better quarterback right now. Like, they're a better football team. But there's a difference between being better on paper and playing better on game day when it matters. And, you know, we talked about this on the podcast last week. Nobody believes that the, the David Tyree Giants with Eli Manning were better than that undefeated Patriots team. But on right. the day they executed, that's the whole reason why any given Sunday that phrase exists. It's the NFL. If you don't play well, you're going to get snake bit. And especially if you play as poorly as the Chiefs did in the second half. So you could play in the NFL 
as well as the Chiefs did in the first half, it'd be absolutely dominant and unstoppable. One Make one mistake at the end of the half, give another NFL team life, and they will get you. They will get you if you don't score. And, you know, the Chiefs know that. Patrick Mahomes knows that. Believe me, nobody feels worse about all that than they do and than Patrick Mahomes does. So they're just going to have to, you know, suck it up and, and get try to get better and reload the team and, and try it again. That, this is why it's so hard to win in the NFL. It's it's so, so, so hard to even do what the Chiefs have done in the last four years. It just hosts four AFC Championship games. They started three yeah. and four, and they still hosted the AFC Championship game. Sometimes you just fall a little short, and what you have to hope – and look, you go back and look at all Brady's Super Bowls. How many of those were like, he could have lost them? I mean, it, you know, it was a razor's edge, some of those games. As great yeah. as Tom Brady was, he needed some things to go his way in some of those games for it to happen. And we'll see how this long career of Patrick Mahomes plays out, and we're fortunate enough to be able to ha- be in that position to get to watch it play out because I just knocked over my Casey Beer – Now's a good time to mention that we are sponsored by the Kansas City Beer <laughs> Company. Totally off the rails today, man. I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm just not ready to be back in full podcast mode. Kansas City Beer Company, awesome sponsors, biggest independent brewery in Kansas City, German beers. Uh, I got the IPL right here. I, I, I stole a case of this on my way out when I was in Kansas City. Absolutely fantastic. Check them out on Twitter. They're at, at Casey Beer Co. Do me a favor. If you like this podcast, or in fact, if you hate this podcast, message Casey Beer Company and tell them, I heard about your beer on this podcast I love slash hate, and I'm going to check it out. They really appreciate it. We really appreciate it. It helps keep the show going. And we're going all the way into the off season. So you're stuck with us. You're stuck with me staring into the void and knocking over empty beer bottles um, <laughs> from now until September. So buckle up, baby. Um, all right, Matt Connor. as we step away from the pain, it's now we, we have to start looking ahead, right? We have to start looking at what's, what's next. Um, there's just no, there's no help in looking back at the loss, really, and dwelling on it too much. Um, yeah. it, you know, what we love about Chiefs football, I think, and what we love about the NFL is, hey, it's a year-round game. There's always NFL action happening. And so we're going to start. Brett Veach gave a press conference today. We're going to cover a lot of that. Before we do, have you seen this Brian Flores stuff that just I mean, dropped like right before we, we came on the pot? Yeah, just just bits and pieces of it. The getting yeah. paid money to lose or, or something. It's like multiple teams are, are, are complicit in multiple debacles with, with this one guy. Yeah, Flores, as you know, was let go by, by the Dolphins after two winning seasons. And I think I, any objective football fan, I don't care about the Miami Dolphins one way or the other. Um, but, you know, when I looked at what they've been doing the last two years, I've been really impressed because yep. I'm not impressed when I look at their roster. They have some good players, of course, but, you know, the quarterback situation has been in flux and they're trying to get Tua in there and he's really not ready, but they still managed to win a similar situation to what maybe you saw in Chicago this year. And you saw how things turned out there, right? Brian Flores managed to, to coach that team to two back-to-back winning seasons on the fringe of the playoffs, playoff team last year, and he got fired. Anyway, he's filed a lawsuit uh, alleging a bunch of different things, talking about you know, diversity in, in, in the NFL and, and, and in particular in coaching and GM roles. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. We don't know anything about it other than what's you know been on Twitter, um, but he's, he's obviously risking a lot to bring this lawsuit. I believe that they're asking for a class action. If that is granted, they would other people would be able to join this lawsuit. Eric Bieniemy is mentioned in the lawsuit among a number of things. It really just kind of lays out. It's making the point that the NFL has some systemic racism and 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 uses EB as an example of his accomplished career and his lack of, of opportunities to, to get a job. So, you know, this is going to be a big story in the off season. I'm sure it'll probably come up again. You know, we don't want to speculate too much because we don't know, but I will say two of the allegations that, as you mentioned, were just really shocking to me was one, he alleges that Steven Ross, the owner of the Dolphins offered him a hundred thousand dollars per loss to tank so they could get a better draft pick. That's absolutely insane if it's true. And that when he interviewed for the head coaching job of the Miami, uh, the Denver Broncos, when, uh, Vic Fangio eventually got hired that John Elway showed up to the meeting an hour late and he alleges that he was hung over. That it was clear he was drinking the night before. I mean, it's wild stuff. Check it out. It's all over Twitter. I don't know. I don't know what to make heads or tails of it. Um, it's awful if it's all true. It's just absolutely terrible. Yeah. I, I want to be fair to the whole process that this is like, yeah. we're just learning bits and details. There's going to be probably even more from Flora's side. And certainly there's going to be, you know, then like rebuttals and, and statements and evidence 
provided on the contract. This whole thing is going to get much bigger, and and it's hard to like it's irresponsible to wade into the waters too far and to try to make things one way or the other about it. Except I'll say this: for for few years now, us like Chiefs Kingdom with Eric Bieniemy, we have been like prognosticating left and right, going, why can't EB get a job? Right. And I feel like people are even making up a lot of stuff they don't know because we hear this every year. So we say, oh, maybe he's a horrible interview. And it's yeah. like, well, have you ever watched his press conferences? He's as yeah. personable and confident and charismatic. It's somehow he's like approachable and yet like this like major motivator figure. I mean, he's both like he's like a leader and he's like right there with you. So I like like the the product on the field for the Chiefs is without question. The sustained success is better than so many other guys who are getting chances over EB. Some yeah. teams have even hired two head coaches in the time that Eric Bieniemy has been interviewing for head coaching gigs. So our attempts to try to like understand it end up like reducing Eric Bieniemy. Like, well, maybe he just sucks. Maybe he, maybe he doesn't call the plays. Maybe he's a bad interview. Like we demean him versus maybe looking at the whole system and go, you know, maybe there's is something very wrong with this system. And maybe Brian Flores is walking a plank here, a la Colin Kaepernick, and we're going to learn some things down the road. I don't want to say one way or the other what I think will happen, what I think will be revealed. But what I hope is that there is a fair and lengthy investigation into all of these claims and that things that need to rise to the surface, rise to the surface. That's what I would say about this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's get the process. We know we all know the process isn't perfect. Um, And if the process can get better through this, let's let's hope that some good comes out of a situation like this. But it's going to be the story of the offseason. And things could get very uncomfortable for the NFL, because if the uh, if the case does go forward, there's discovery, you know, things all of a sudden your work emails become evidence, all those types of things. And so if there is any shady business going on, it could potentially be revealed. So as we saw with the Washington football team, there's 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 stuff that can come out. Anyway, let's get let's get to Chiefs football. There'll be more on this stuff, um, and hopefully it won't impact the Chiefs too much. All right. So Brett Veach talked today. So I know you were all over this, Matt. I was able to catch a good bit of his press conference. He's asked a lot of things, a lot of things that that you expect him to be asked about. You know, the first thing that I I, I keyed in on, and then we'll get into like individual players. He was asked. What's going to be the priority position groups and things like that? And he, he sort of said, you know, I think most of the guys on offense will be back. We have some work to do on the defensive side of the ball and on the defensive line. The defensive of side is one that we'd probably focus on right off the bat. Um, it was a wide ranging you know, interview. He was very forthcoming and honest about most things as, as much as he could be. Um, were you surprised at all just uh, broadly about his, his intentions on the defensive side of the ball? No, but he mentioned it a few times and some of the verbiage there was really like, I think it was very interesting where he said they have an extra third round pick this year. They have an extra third round pick next year and that their focus was going to remain on. He said, our focus is always going to be on the offensive and defensive lines primarily. Right. So he said the work they did last year on the offensive line in terms of talent and depth was going to be their focus on the defensive line this year. Now, we suffered some some injuries, whatever, on, on the offensive line this year. But what's really interesting to me, if you go back to August and the state of the offensive line, we had a, like a promising starter or rookie, like let's say Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith. And then there was a starter after every guy. There was a 16-game starter at the second level, out, like at every single position. Mike yeah. Rimmers, Kyle Long, Austin Blythe, Nick Allegretti, right? Like, like you had the whole second level was also Andrew Wiley. Like you had you had 16 game starters or Super Bowl starters or whatever, like as your whole second unit. So if Brett Veach's vision for the defensive line is that he if he's it sounded like what he's saying is I want starters as my backups. Like yeah. we're not ever going through again. Remember when when we got done watching what he did with that offensive line, we looked back and we're like, yo, Brett Veach was not joking. Like he came right. through with a bulldozer and then built like a mansion on top of that spot. I mean, he yeah. he wasn't joking. So this to me last year that meant Mitchell Schwartz, see ya. Eric Fisher, see ya. Like it didn't matter your tenure, it didn't matter your money, it didn't matter your experience. We're wiping the slate clean and rebuilding this thing. 
you can't do that financially with some, but maybe it wouldn't surprise me if suddenly we're looking at, all right, Frank Clark, you're renegotiating or you're gone. Chris Jones, building around you. And and then if there were like several imports, I mean, I mean that's what it sounds like. It sounds like it's going to yeah. get a lot of action in free agency and a lot of action in the draft. They will be helped out if Josh Kando turns into something. That acquisition, that fourth round pick last year, could really aid the process along or inhibit it depending on how how well he turns into something here in year two. So are you saying that uh, Frank Clark is going to be backing up somehow Joey Bosa and that Chris Jones is going to be backing up Aaron Donald next year? Uh, yeah, is that I what you're so. telling me? I'm really excited about that prospect. I, I think that's what he's envisioning. I mean, <laughs> it was just, it was kind of crazy there. I don't, that may mean good things for Derek Naughty. Like if you're a Derek Naughty fan, maybe that means good things because that means maybe he's interested in re-signing him. You know, he's in a contract here. Yeah. At the very least, we've got Turk Wharton. We've got Colin Saunders coming back inside. It may mean re-signing Jaron Reed, or or is he going to go elsewhere? We have Mike Dana coming back outside. Melvin Ingram, we should get into Melvin Ingram, by the way, yeah, because there was a lot of talk today about Melvin Ingram. Would you like to see Melvin Ingram back again? Would you agree with Brett Veach there? Yeah, look, I, I, think, I think it comes down to the depth piece, right? When you're a good team like this, you have to bring in young, cheap guys and, and, and unearth you know some diamonds in the rough or some stars or draft well. But then you're not going to be able to fill all of those positions. You can't afford to have all of those positions filled. And so sometimes what you can get is a Melvin Ingram type where it's like, I can get this veteran guy who's still got some, some left in the tank who brings leadership, essentially a, a, a Tyron Matthew type, right. But on the very back end of his career, but they could still make some impact plays for you. And, and teams like the chiefs that are competitive, they always love bringing in those guys. And those guys love coming to teams like the chiefs because it gives them an opportunity to get that ring if they haven't gotten that ring yet. So yeah, I would, you know, it, it's hard to say like, well, do we want to bring back Melvin Ingram? One piece all leads to the others, right? So if they can go out and they can get some other marquee guys and Melvin Ingram is in that mix, I look at it like the, the Kyle Long edition of last year, right? You were like, okay, like this guy, he might be able to help us out. You know, that's good, but we've got a lot of good players on the offensive line and hopefully, you know, he doesn't have to start for them. And, you know, obviously it didn't end up working out, but um, yeah, I would bring back Ingram if the price is right. If he's coming in and he's cheap and he, he played well this year, he definitely showed those defensive line guys, man, like they can play for a long time because if, if, if they're able to rotate in and they just have such smarts and know how and how to do leverage and those types of things that they just, they come up big and they make an impact in ways that some of the younger players just maybe struggle to do. So I like the move if they can afford it. Yeah. Veach, in, in case you missed his remarks today, Veach was asked specifically about Ingram. He detailed the trade for him in the first place, saying that Ingram is so experienced and that a lot of these experienced guys don't really want to have to go through training camp or go through OTAs yeah. as it is. So it sounded like he was a little bit too expensive in the spring. And then when it came around time to summer, because remember, some of the talk was like, why did we just trade for a guy we could have signed in the right. offseason? And from what it sounded like was that maybe Ingram's price was a little bit too high. Um, and then the Steelers came in and signed him at a price point that maybe was more palatable by the time the Chiefs only had to pay half of it. Um, you know, with only two months left. So they ended up trading for him. And then Brett Veach said today, um, he said, look, Ingram is the kind of guy who takes a long time to make his decisions. We assume he's going to take that long again this year, yeah. but said, we think he would be interested. If he's interested in playing another year, Brett Veach said, we think we're the kind of team he's going to be interested in playing for and that we would be interested in having him back. So we may not know if there's a Melvin Ingram reunion until training camp next year. And that just that may have to be the tension that we live in. All right, let's get into some more of these individuals. Let's talk about, I want to talk about Orlando Brown, of course, but let's let's talk about kind of the big one, and that's that's Tyron Matthew. I know Veach talked a lot about Tyron Matthew, and I know that you really read into his his comments. What do you think? What's going on there? Is Tyron Matthew going to be back, or does it sound yeah. like there might be a parting of the ways? Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, like, like all, anyone who wants to start a fire here needs to like set down the flint, the tender, put down the gas can if that's what you use, right? Like, I, like I, um, it, look, all along, a year ago, a year ago, Brett Veach, Andy Reid, uh, Clark Hunt even, all were saying, we love Tyron. When, as we enter this contract year, we want to bring him back. And Tyron kept saying, hey, I love playing here. I want to come back. I want to finish my career here. Then, then as things didn't happen and as COVID finances clearly entered the picture, yeah. both sides kept saying, all right, 
we're going to be patient. Maybe it can't work out. We will get things done. But they kept saying, but we will get things done. And Tyron kept saying, you know, I still want to be here. And we're like, we still love him. So even so even uh, then lately, however, Tyron, if you in case you didn't see it, he posts on Twitter a tweet that makes it sound like he's leaving. Right. Like it's the end of the season. He here comes this emotional tweet, just basically this message saying, hey, maybe if it doesn't work out or like things are lost or whatever. It's been great. I love this franchise. I love this city. I love play. like like it was that kind of an overture. But even yeah. today, Brett Veach ends up saying, "Hey, look, he's an emotional guy. That's why we love him. That's why he's like the ideal centerpiece on the defense and in the locker room to make this team and this defense like what they can be." And sometimes that leads to, as we saw this year, tweeting on occasion that needs to be taken back or explained or placed within a certain context. And so this idea of, of Matthew leaving via this like tweet that seems like it's cryptically saying he's gone, even today, Veach was like, hey, look, he tweets things. It doesn't mean like what, what they say it is. It's part of the makeup of why we love Tyrant and we wanted him around. And so even today, they said, Brett Veach said, we love him being here and he loves being here. Like You just don't say all this stuff publicly. Brett Veach could say all kinds of things with like this language that hedges things like, yeah. well, we'd like to work it out. You could always say, Oh yeah, we're trying our best or we will see, or we'll try to make that work. He's not every, everyone's in love. So they're going to get married Two people <laughs> like this in public are going to get married. But you don't think that like, if you're Brett Veach, you could still say all these things and be like, we love him. We want him here. But when you sit down across from his agent and the agent's like, we need this this amount of years and this amount of money. And Brett Veach is like, I can't do it, man. Like, I, wa- I want him here. I want to make this work, you know, but I, I can't. You, you don't think that that's a possibility? You think that they'll, they'll find a way to get it done? I, I don't want to say that anything is impossible. I also think that you're running back a year's worth of press conferences if he doesn't end up here. I just think the verbiage used and I think the, the overtures expressed are so positive that it would just, if Matthew isn't more flexible on a deal and if Veach isn't more, because then I mean, think about this, think about the other side, who are you going to get? I mean, who like, right. like Thornhill is not Thornhill pre-surgery or pre-ACL. He's not, I mean, he's looked, he's looked better than he was like when he first tried to come back, but you're look you're looking at a safety position that needs like a massive overhaul if Matthew's not coming back, because if post ACL Juan Thornhill is your best player, and then Armani Watts is gone, which is a non-factor anyway, Sorensen gone, which we want to happen anyway. I mean, right? Safety, safety is not a crazy position to remake, but Casey has other needs. But that's my question for you, though: is we we all know the importance of of Tyron and what he brings both on and off the field from a leadership position on the field, keeping everybody in line, and it just his play. And I think some people, I think that there's, I think there's some, I think there's a subset of, of Chiefs fans who like think that maybe Tyron didn't play well this year. Cause like he didn't have any big splashy picks or like things like that, you know, like a, a lot of those plays and, and sometimes it can be hard to quantify like what a guy's doing, like when they don't throw the ball. Remember Namdi Asamoah, like never had any stats cause nobody <laughs> yeah. ever threw at the guy, yeah, never totally, had any interceptions, totally. but he was totally. incredible. He's also a, an incredible actor now, by the way. Like really, really talented actor, Namdi Asamoah. You're kidding. Yeah, one of the greatest names in in uh, in NFL history, one of the greatest corners in NFL history for a period there, and now a great actor. At any rate, how important <laughs> is the safety position in that? Okay, if you really want to get a, a, a you, you just, we got we got to get an edge rusher. We're gonna we're gonna cut bait with Frank. We're gonna free up some money there. We'd like to bring Tyron back but he wants too long or too much. And we'd rather take that money and put a replacement player, an average guy in his position in order to upgrade somewhere else at a position that maybe we think is a little bit more important. Somebody that can rush the passer on a consistent basis next to Chris Jones and really just wreak havoc so that the safeties maybe don't have to be as good because the the quarterbacks aren't throwing a lot of deep shots. I think I think Matthew is essential to what Steve Spagnolo wants to do. If if we're running Spag's defense out there next year, I think you got to bring back Matthew. And I don't think that Matthew is going to be too. I mean, I could be wrong, but he look he's made his money. He wants to be with the Chiefs. He's been with the Chiefs. He's in a familiar setting. He's going to compete for Super Bowls as long as he's playing and healthy. I think they'll find a way to get it done. When they brought in Spagnolo. Brett Veach moved heaven and earth for two pieces. Frank Clark, he knew he needed like a cornerstone end 
and he knew he needed like the versatile chess piece at safety. Those are the two things that Spags needs. And his and his I mean, greater linebackers are fine, corners are fine, you know, what have what you will. But those are the two pieces that that I think Spags needed the most. Veach went out and got him. I just don't think that he's gonna back off of that now, especially with the state of the rest of the of the secondary. I just don't see it. I would be shocked if a deal didn't get done. I would be boat raced. Uh, whatever. What would Verderam say to that? I would, <laughs> what would Verderam say? I would be crazy. Yeah. I'd be crazy yeah. if I didn't. I would walk into traffic if they don't yeah. sign Tyron Matthew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Verderam's down at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. By the way, um, he's been he's been putting in some updates. If you're if you're interested, uh, we do have a join feature here with the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. If you want to be kind of part of the club a little bit more than than just watching and engaging in the chat, we've got a great uh, private Discord. I was actually asking the subscribers in the Discord today, like about Matthew, because I wanted to talk about it on this podcast. And a lot of them were kind of like they were a little lukewarm on it. They were like, "Look, yeah, like we'd love to have him back, but like we, the defense needs to be better." And I think maybe it boils down to that for most people. Everybody loves Tyron; they want him here, but what they really want is the defense to be more formidable. Because I think everyone thinks, look, if the Chiefs defense was more formidable, they would just be unstoppable. And obviously they're not. Nobody's unstoppable, but they'd be a hell of a lot harder to beat if the defense wasn't. You know, it wasn't a good defense this year. They had their moments. But on the whole, when you step back and you look at the whole season, not good. Not a good defense. Didn't rush the passer well enough. Didn't do enough things well enough uh, for this team to get back to the Super Bowl. Um, so let's let's kind of pivot to the offensive side of the ball really quickly because we have this Orlando Brown thing coming. I was on the radio at uh, KCUR and uh, NPR in Kansas City on Monday, and, and we were talking about one of the questions, and I didn't get to answer this one, but one of the questions was, you know, do you think the, the Chiefs will sign Orlando Brown? And my answer was going to be, there's absolutely no question. Like, it shouldn't even be a question that they're going to re-sign Orlando Brown. I think the question is, are they going to sign him? Or are they going to franchise him because they want to, you know, do some other things with the cap because he's going to command a long deal and a big deal. But they they traded first round pick for this guy. Like he's the guy. You don't trade a first round pick for a guy for a one season rental. Yeah, yeah. Did you see Veach's comments on on Orlando today? I think I caught him. Yeah, he basically said, "Yeah, we want to, we want him back here." Is what he said, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. he he was in love with the performance. He was like very pleased with the way that deal turned out, and yeah. and basically was just saying he's exactly the kind of guy that we want entrenched here for a while. So he he called Brown his first order of business, um, like getting a deal done. I mean, he even he even was asked about both of those extensions and mentioned Brown first, and then. We'll get to Tyron when we when we will. Yeah. So yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw an Orlando Brown extension this month ahead of free agency just to get um, just to get that business out of the way. And that's the key, right? You want to get this offensive line set in stone for Mahomes. It, I know some people thought that Brown disappointed a little bit. He gave up some pressures and, you know, I, look, the Chiefs have had some really great left tackles uh, and their history. I thought he played a little bit better than Eric Fisher played for the Chiefs this year. Not like crazy better, but better than Eric Fisher. Um, held his own pretty darn well and with Mahomes' mobility. How, how Were you happy with the way he played or were you expecting like absolute lockdown left tackle never lets anybody by? And also, do you think he got outshone a little bit by the guys to his right? Could be, could be. The, the guys to his right, especially the rookie, because Joe Tooney was outshined by the guys to his right. Like, like That's rookies, true. That's a great point. The rookies are going to have a shine to them, an excitement to them um, that veterans are not. So here's Joe Tooney look um, like – putting in a Pro Bowl caliber performance, doing what he does every single year. And Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith are the ones like drawing most of the headlines, most of the, oh, wow, look at these guys, amazing, you know. So, And I get it. The rookies were great. I mean, there were so many great stories up front for the Chiefs. The offensive line was just an incredible remake. Some franchises like the New York Giants have been trying to find five starting guys up front for like year after year after year and can't make it work. And um, and then here is uh, here's Brett Veach making it happen in one offseason. So there's so much to be proud there. In terms of Orlando Brown and what I expected, um, I think I saw what I thought, right? Like he was, here's what I think. I think Brett Veach is looking at this going, look, we got an Iron Man kind of guy. He turns in an above average performance for the year in his very first year. He switched sides. He switched systems. He's used to running the ball down the throats of all of his enemies. And now 
were doing the opposite of that. Yeah. And he'd turn in an above average performance in that first year. Yeah. So picturing what he's going to look like next to Joe Tooney in 2024, right. you're probably looking like, yeah, we're going to be great. We're going to be great for a long yeah. time. This is a young guy. He's obviously talented. A lot of people were interested in him. And you just made some really great points. He he did play some left tackle for the Ravens, but totally different system. You know, he was switching sides. He was primarily a right tackle. So going on and, and on an offense too that like remember, the Ravens don't pass as much as the Chiefs do. They run the football. So he's getting a lot more reps that he has to that he has to protect. And in a totally different system and on the new side. I mean, that's it. I think you're right. Like they could be one of the, I mean, I think they're already one of the better offensive lines in the NFL right now with these rookies. I mean, imagine year two for Creed Humphrey, year two for, for, for Smith. I mean, this is really exciting. Uh, I do want to ask you about the right tackle position because, you know, Lucas Yang was doing an admirable job there. Um, not great, not terrible. Just holding his own, was doing a good job. Wasn't a problem really. Had trouble with injuries all year, and Andrew Wiley stepped in. Is that your long-term right tackle? Is it Andrew Wiley? I, I can't imagine. You know, Wiley's set to walk this year, right? So we're going to have to pay him. What I don't like about this is Niang not only had the injury, had a big injury, but it was late in the year, and right. it was an ugly injury, right, Like with yeah. the patella tendon. So you're talking about that's going to be tough to get over. And in the same way that we were talking about, like, Juan Thornhill post-injury, it wouldn't surprise me if the Chiefs went offensive tackle fairly early in this draft, which would probably make people go, what? I thought we, like, why are we drafting this when we need? But even for the need of swing tackle in the name of injuries with Niang's kind of uncertainty of that, I just think the Chiefs need to make one more bigger investment in the line before yeah. they can say, we're done with this. Yeah, I, I I agree. And look, Andrew Wiley did great. And if they could bring, if they could find a way to bring him back as a, as a depth piece, I, I I mean I I couldn't sing his praises enough for the way he performed down the stretch for the Chiefs. I we never talked about him other than to say like, boy, Andrew Wiley wasn't a problem in this game. Yeah. And you know teams had to have been trying to attack him. They're looking at that line. Where are you going to attack? You're going to attack Andrew Wiley. So I mean, what a great job by him. I, look, if he doesn't come back to the Chiefs, I hope he gets a chance to start somewhere. Like I hope some team opens up the pocketbook and pays him because that was uh, especially after what happened in the Super Bowl and all that stuff. What a job by him. He really stepped up for the team. All right. I want to ask you, I'm going to flip back to defense really quick. I'm going back and forth here. Um, I want to ask you about Spagnolo because I've seen a lot of people saying, hey, man, you know, it's just time to try do something different. Spags needs to go. Defense hasn't performed great. And we've talked about on this podcast, he's an excellent defensive coordinator. He really is. But what is your opinion on that? You think they'll stick with him no matter what? Because it's not like the Chiefs had like a Bob Sutton-esque. Like, that's what it took, right? Like, it was just like, all right, we got to, this guy's got to go. You know, they were bad early in the season, but he really turned things around. And even in the Bengals game, like, you can't look at the defense and be like, boy, we lost that game because of the defense. All they did was, you know, keep Jamar Chase in check after getting torched by the guy, you know, held these guys to under 30 points, got us an interception after we were melting down in the second half that we didn't do anything with. So, I mean, he showed the ability to make adjustments. We're going into the game. I know we were like, some people were like, we were talking about it on the podcast and we're like, he's not going to change. He's just going to do spag stuff and hope they get a different result. Well, he did change and he did get better results. So what's your opinion on Spagnuolo? Yeah, a team that's hosted four straight uh, conference championships is not changing their coordinators. Yeah. We're just not. If we'd lost four straight conference championships, maybe we start talking about that. But there's been a Super Bowl one. There's been another Super Bowl appearance in there. It was an offensive meltdown that led to not this Super Bowl appearance. So Spags isn't going anywhere, and I don't think he should either. Like, I'm I'm not one sitting here crying out for, for a change. Here's what I think. There's an equation that we believe in which means something new equals better. Like, that's what we believe in. Right. So we think, oh, we'll change from Spags and then insert name here. Let's say, let's go get Fangio to come in and be, the, let's go get Flores. Let's go, whatever. The Like, we think whoever that's going to be is going to automatically be better. And the truth is, what I think we forget is, what about continuity? Like, we yeah. never think, oh, maybe they are as good as they have been because the Chiefs have held on to the same group of leaders and they're experiencing this stable, secure run of success, maybe because they don't just flip names every three years like several other teams do. So I know it's sexier to like, ah, oh, let's get someone new, fresh blood, new ideas, whatever flowing. Yeah. But what about the guys who know their players so intimately that they know exactly how to use them? They know exactly what new piece they need to add 
rather than a new guy coming in and going, I guess I got to, I guess I got to get to know everyone right. and everything. I, I just think we make too little of the, of the deal to stay in place and too big of a deal in terms of change. What about the frustration from fans that say, yeah, look like we like spags. Okay. You know, but like, for God's sake, man, he keeps putting Ben Neiman out there on third down. Like there was, I was watching a, I was watching a replay of one of the, the, I think it was the play where Jones had Joe Burrow and should have sacked him. And he, he wriggled out of there and he went and he got a first down and Neiman was in on that. And Neiman actually did a really good job. He stuck with his mitt because the running back was in the backfield. When Burrow started to scramble, the running back did the right thing and, and, and started running downfield to try to pull his man away from Burrow. And, and Neiman stuck on him and stayed right in front of him. And he was watching Burrow like a hawk. And the I think it was like a third and seven. The minute Burrow got to the, uh, to the line of scrimmage, Neiman took off after him, right? And he just had no chance of getting there. And I, I watched the play like a hundred times trying to think like, does Willie Gay tackle him one yard short of this first down? I'm not sure. But like it was close, like Neiman was close. And I know that Willie Gay Jr. is faster. And then also in the game, we saw Willie Gay have two incredible pass breakups. So what do you say to a fan who says, why, is he, why, does, why does he do stuff like this? Why does he ramrod Sorensen in there? And why does he ramrod Neiman in there when we have we, what we all think, us amateurs, think more talented players standing on the sidelines watching? Yeah, I mean – those are viable arguments. I mean, I get it. We, you know, we were all yelling, "Why are we playing Sorensen so much?" A hundred percent of snaps in a game from Sorensen is right. insane. I will say, in the game that we watched, right? Well, here's the chain reaction: when the offense can't move the ball, the defense goes from trying to get them out, then the offense comes out and takes up like a minute of the clock, and then the defense has to go back out there again. Like the defense came out of halftime in this game and played over ten minutes on the field during the third quarter. At yeah. some point. Your guys are going to get tired, and you got to look at Ben Neiman and go, hey, you're in, because we're just gassed. And then we're like, well, why are they tackling so poorly? Like, why is the technique slipping? Why yeah. are we pressuring Burrow, but we can't bring Burrow down, right? And all of those things live on that edge of fatigue or not fatigued, fresh or 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 not as fresh, right? And yeah. so, like the sharpness that we saw in the third quarter slip allowed the Bengals to climb back in. And part of that was, man, if Mahomes can just convert a couple more first downs, if, if Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill just catch one of those drops, you know, like then, then the drive lasts longer, the defense gets more time. I mean, it's all a chain reaction kind of thing. So, you know, again, the Bengals deserve credit for some of the adjustments they made or whatnot. But part of this, part of the offensive meltdown places so much pressure on the other side. And then we're like, well, why do you get so many snaps? And it's like, because the defense was playing so many snaps. And maybe part of that is Spags' own penchant for veterans over younger players or loyalty to this or that or slow to adjust. Maybe that's a thing. Yeah. But, you know, we're not privy to those insider conversations at Arrowhead where they've got to be honest with each other as coaches and go, hey, dude, you've got a real stubborn streak here that's killing our team. Maybe that's part of it. Yeah, and I think you said it earlier, too. We're always like, well, change, that'll fix everything, right? And, and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. I think we know that Andy and Spags, like they've kind of demonstrated they don't love playing too many young guys. They will, but they don't love it. They'd much rather play the veteran. Um, I think they were showing more trust in Willie Gay Jr., as the season went on, I mean, the guy got arrested and the week of a playoff game and they were like, yeah, he's playing. So it's not like, I mean, they drafted him. Like, it's not like they don't know the value of Willie Gay Jr. They've, they've demonstrated yeah. that as well. So I will say, I get really excited watching the way he played in that Bengals game. It, it, you know, and all year there were those flashes, but the Bengals game in particular, you were like, oh man, do we have a linebacker finally? who yeah. can cover tight ends, who can be disruptive, to, and also to pair with another linebacker who can shoot gaps, stop running backs, play the run really well. I mean, you know, Bolton is so aggressive, and he did such a great job, and he got so many tackles for a loss. Sometimes he would whiff, right? Sometimes he'd pick the wrong gap and give up big runs. He's a rookie, but, like, you kind of lived with it. And, boy, if he takes the leap and Gay take the leap, takes the leap, and those guys are three-down linebackers when necessary, yeah. boy, that's really exciting for this Chiefs defense moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and Bolton, by the way, how quick of a learner is he? Yeah. I mean, I feel like week to week we saw significant progression, especially yeah. in the second half on. It feels like you could almost chart, like, even with the – even just, like, by watching, like, this guy's noticeably better than just last week or the week before. Yeah. So – given that adaptability 
and those instincts. Yeah, but both of those kids are going to be great in the heart of the defense for a long time. Do you <laughs> think Spags should go? Is it like I want to go back to that because you didn't say. Yeah, you know, I really like Vic Fangio. Like, like I think I would <laughs> like, like to throw everything out history, knowing the players, all that stuff. Like, if you told me you can have Steve Spagnolo or Vic Fangio as your defensive coordinator. I'm going with Vic Fangio 10 times out of 10. Okay. And he's out there. Um, I know he's, you know, he's interested in being a head coach again. Um, he just does. He, I like his defense. I think it causes a lot of problems for teams. I think it's really difficult for quarterbacks to diagnose what's happening pre-snap, you know, and he'll play zone on one side of the field and man on the other. He does all these really interesting things and it's a complex defense. But I, mean, I think about how bad Denver is on offense. And those guys, like the last couple of years, they've always been in games. They've always kind of been, you know, hanging around the playoff conversation with no quarterback. And it's because it's because of Fangio and his defense. I, you know, I, I would be fascinated to see his defense on this Chiefs team because, you know, if they could just and Belichick's good at this too. If they could just stifle teams for a half, you know, like I, with this Chiefs offense. I mean, holy crap, that's that's incredible. But I agree with you. I think I think Spagnuolo is going to be back. And if, if he wants to be, but it was just 21 to 10, like, isn't that stifling for a half? Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, like, I'm looking at his whole body of work and his sure. defenses have been pretty back end to middle of the road. Right. So yeah, I, I, I'd like Vic Fangio. Uh, I think, I think his defense with Chris Jones, holy crap. Like I, I think it'd buy him some more time and, and it would be really interesting. I wanted to ask you about the running back position. Because I think I'm just really fascinated by it. And I was talking with Arrowhead Addict founder, Zach Best, uh, this week. And we were talking about, boy, you know, of course, everybody could have this conversation. Like, could you imagine if the Chiefs had an impact running back? And by that, I mean, like, we all think Jarek McKinnon played well. There were times in the playoffs where Clyde played well. Daryl Williams played well. And we, we're all kind of like, yeah, these, these guys, you know, whenever they have their moments. The way teams are playing the Chiefs, though, with dropping everybody back in coverage and light boxes, pretty much every NFL running back, like just average NFL running back, should be able to have a good average and, and get some of these pops. But none of these guys, with the exception of Derek Gore, were really breaking big runs. So we, what we were talking about, Zach and I was like, man, like what if the Chiefs had Jamal Charles right now? What if the Chiefs had drafted Jonathan Taylor? Like what would defenses do? Like these guys would be, I think I, my question to you is, do you think the Chiefs still could use a difference maker, a back that can just like really make teams pay for playing <laughs> this, for playing this defense? You know, not just like go in there and get four or five yards, but I'm talking like 12 yards over and over again, like, if we play, we're just in a real bind, you know, like, and of yeah. course, you know, I don't, those guys aren't just growing on trees. I understand that, but they can be found and they can be found Jamal Charles in the third round. Do you think the chiefs should keep looking there and try to find somebody who's a little bit more of a home run hitter? So you're not, you're not advocating for another first round pick on no. running back. Is that what no, you're saying? Never, never take, I, <laughs> like, I wouldn't take, I wouldn't take Jonathan Taylor or Derrick Henry in the first round, knowing yeah. what I know about them because they're going to get hurt. They're not going to have that long of a career. And I can, I can find comparable pieces sometimes later. Yeah. I, I don't know that I agree. I mean, I, I look, man, when we lost Kareem Hunt, I mean, like I like on the field, watching him, his production with yeah. in tandem with Travis and Tyreek. I mean, I like you know, like, you know, I was at the height of my adolescent fandom, you know, and, and then, and then, you know, even, yeah, high school days, I think, you know, when Priest Holmes was doing his thing and like, like, like watching that offense, like when you watch a guy rush for like 27 touchdowns or something like that, you know, like uh, when you watch a guy running behind like Willie Rove and Will Shields and, and things like, like it was so much fun. Like that was maybe even the most fun the Chiefs have been. And, you know, for me until Patrick Mahomes arrived. And so when Kareem was a part of this team like that, I get what you're saying because of that, like that dynamism, no one could stop them. No one could stop them. At some point we need to, we need to ask the honest question because every week we're like, Oh, Jared McKinnon, he's great. Oh, well, Derek Gore, he's great. Right. Oh, well, um, you know, Daryl Williams, he's great. And you got to start asking, um, are all these guys really great? Or is it the system that makes every running back who enters this room look great? I mean, the only guy who hasn't looked like, wow, how's this guy not getting more reps is Darwin Thompson, right? Like he's, <laughs> like, he's like the only one in a couple years that hasn't like, like Damian Williams was turning heads. I mean, it, 
Like there's a long list here of running backs that Arrowhead has made look good in this offense playing with Mahomes, whatever. So I have to admit, I'm not really sure what to make of that. Because if it makes everyone, if Damian Williams can be a postseason hero and Jarek McKinnon can make everyone like want to get a Jarek tattoo or something, it makes me think, yeah, I'm, I'm okay like paying whoever is available one year, $1 million and just come play along with Clyde Edwards Elair since we drafted him. He's going to be here anyway and just make do at the position because Veach is going to be able to find guys. Although I, I admit, I admit I missed the dynamism of a guy like Kareem and the thought of someone like Jamal just like would be otherworldly. Yeah. Yeah. The Kareem hunt, when they had him with Mahomes, it, it was different. And, and the chiefs ran the ball differently than they do now. And so I know we all talk about like, oh, you know, Andy won't run it. He just doesn't want to run it. But they were much more pr- productive with the running game and the passing of the running backs when Kareem Hunt was on the team. Did Andy not, was that just because it was Mahomes' first year starting and like Andy didn't want, you know, he's trying to keep the pressure off him? Maybe. But I'll tell you what, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. The Cleveland Browns signed Kareem Hunt to a, a two-year extension. He signed for this year and then he's a, a, a free agent the following season. But he's got like no dead cap. I think if they cut him, they can save like $6 million. Now, I don't think they will. He's had some injuries this year, which would be a concern for any team. But they do have Nick Chubb. If they, you know, and and, and they had the, uh, oh, who was the guy that, that uh, Dearness Johnson. Dearness yeah. Johnson stepped in and played really well for them. So if you're looking at a team and like Cream Hunt had some injury issues, this guy Dearness, we got this guy Dearness Johnson. I'm not sure his, his, his situation with his contract, but I know they're not paying him anything. Maybe you, do you think he's a good enough replacement for Kareem Hunt? You want to save $6 million. Maybe you surprise cut Kareem Hunt or you try to trade him. If somehow, and maybe it's not even until next year, if Kareem Hunt was available, would you want him back on the Chiefs? Would you, and do you think the Chiefs would do it? Um, yes to the first part and no to the second part. If, if Kareem is going to play football, might as well be for the Chiefs. I mean, right. you know, like I, I don't want to make it, you know, like we're not talking here about whether he should be playing football. That's a different conversation. And, and you know, like it's, it's hard to root for some guys. But, I mean, if Kareem Hunt's going to be playing professional football for someone in the National Football League, put him on, put him on the Chiefs, you know. Uh, yeah. But the Chiefs, I mean, they came out at the very end and, and called it. It's a trust issue. You can't have any relationship with someone without trust. Um, and that's true of any two people, and that's true of an organization as well. So I, I just think I don't know why the Chiefs would walk through that PR nightmare or have to answer those questions, or even would go back to that. That said, the Chiefs signed Darn Damon Arnett for a solid four days yeah, they before don't. they had to release him too. So they don't maybe care. I have no idea. And, and look, to be clear, what Kareem Hunt did was awful, and it was stupid, and you know. But I hope he's he's he just was drunk and you know angry or whatever, and just did a really. It was a young kid and did a really dumb thing, and I hope he's learned from it. I haven't heard anything bad about him since, you know, and I, I hope that that continues to be the case for the young man. Um, as far as the trust thing with the Chiefs, I mean, I think it's easy to sit up there if you're Brett Peach and be like, yeah, you know what? We we, 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 lo- we, lo- we we loved Kareem. We had an issue. We've talked to him. We've moved past that. Like, we feel like he's past that. And, you know, we're going to give it another go. Um, but I think it's probably unlikely that he ends up back in Kansas City just because obviously the Browns have to let go of him. But he will be a free agent and he'll be 28 if the Browns don't re-sign him at some point in the future. But I'm just really fascinated by this this whole idea of what if the Chiefs had a more dynamic running back? Like what if they had one of these guys? And I think that even though they have a stable of perfectly adequate NFL running backs that can be productive for them within their system, that they should keep their eyes out for a chance to upgrade the position. This is where I'm at with the Chiefs on offense. I know everybody's going to talk about the defense. Let's stack up the defense. I want I want the defense to be good, and I think they need some key pieces there. I want them to do what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did on offense the last couple of years. They have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And it's like, then they go out and they sign Gronk. And it's like, oh, isn't that enough? No, let's sign Antonio Brown too. Now, look, I don't want them to sign Gronk or Antonio Brown. But like, you get my point, right? They were like, no amount of weapons is enough weapons for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it was just, it's just impossible to guard. And we know the Chiefs have some weapons, but look, Travis Kelsey, not a spring chicken, right? At some point, he's not going to fall off a cliff. That doesn't, that doesn't usually happen to these tight ends. He could be great for two, three, four more years. But at some point, his production is going to start to tail off a little bit. He's not going to be quite as explosive. He's not going to be able to get the separation. And he's going to end up in the, one of those situations where, you know, it's, it's, it's mainly the receivers and he's, he's a chain mover. 
And that's fine. That's, you know, it's going to happen to everybody someday. Whereas somebody like Tyree Kill, when he loses his speed, I don't know, like, I don't know what happens there, right? Like, he's more of a guy I could see falling off a cliff at some point. So what, what's your thought on that in regards to the offense? Do you think that she should just try to absolutely load up and get just big time weapons for Mahomes and not try to just keep going forward thinking, oh, we've got Hill, we've got Calcium, we'll figure out all those other parts. I feel, I feel like the offense could be a lot more dynamic. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The easiest, the easiest path to victory is either redoing one whole side or just pouring gas on the other, right? So if, if a fire is going to get me to where I want to go, let me just pour gas on the thing that's already on fire. So to that end, I add more weapons to the best part of the, yeah, it's much easier to keep the offense going than it is to redo the defense. And I'm not saying you don't try to do both, but I, I, I'm with you. I make sure that offense is never, ever lacking anything. And you have Patrick Mahomes, and he's always going to be your best chance to win. The whole time that the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, we're not ever going to be sitting here being like, this is a defensive team. Defense is how the Chiefs win. Like, it's it's always going to be the offense. It's always going to be Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And so you've got to have as much depth there as possible so that you always are in the best position to win. Because as long as you have Mahomes and Mahomes has weapons, the Chiefs are going to be able to put up 30 points on pretty much any team in the NFL on a pretty consistent basis. And that's going to win you a lot of football games. It's going to get you into the playoffs. It's going to give you a, a chance to win Super Bowls. If you're not in the playoffs, it don't matter, right? Look at you know, look at the Chargers, right? Like Herbert, oh, he's so good. He's so good. And, and, and he will eventually make the playoffs, I'm sure. But like, it don't matter how good he is if they can't get into the playoffs, um, and so you've got to be there to have a chance for, for to, to have what happened to the Bengals this year. Bengals, you know, they were a fringe playoff team. They got in. Now they're playing a Super Bowl. They have one more good game. They're Super Bowl champions and none of the rest of the stuff matters. Um, yeah. We got a super chat uh, and, and appreciate you uh, from Davidsosin. Uh, uh, Dab- I'm terrible at reading these things. Why can't you guys just use your regular names? I'm just like, you know, hey, Patrick, you know, everyone's got these fancy avatar nickname things that I can't pronounce. God bless you. But appreciate the super chat. As a Bengals fan, says, uh, serious question, are the Bengals that good or are the Chiefs that overrated? No disrespect, but the talking heads have me confused. Look, man, we kind of talked about things from the what we like what we would see if we were Bengals fans, like that perspective a little bit earlier. I think like the Bengals are good, man. Like they you have a great quarterback, a great young quarterback really good receiving weapons, a good head coach, uh, a, a really a really talented running back, some pieces on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think the Bengals are a complete team. I, I like like I'll give you an example. The Chiefs when they lost in the AFC Championship game during Mahomes' first year starting, they were really good, really dynamic on offense. Their defense was terrible. If they had gotten past the 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 Patriots in that game, I think they might have won the Super Bowl. But they were probably not like they're not anywhere good as they were the next year, right? So it can happen for you. I think the Bengals are very good. I think they got some work to do to continue to build out their roster. And I think the Chiefs are rated exactly as as they are. They're an excellent team. Very good. They can beat anybody on any day. Probably one of the best teams in the NFL. But the, the Bengals could easily be in that territory. You know, it'd be hard to argue if they go and they win the Super Bowl that they're not entering that territory. And then all the, now they're just going to stack more good players on that already talent-rich roster that they've been building. They've done a great job of surrounding Burrow with weapons. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, I think the Bengals are only going to get much, much better. And they're in year two of the rebuild, like Zach Taylor, you know, in his second year. Um, I mean, they've got, especially um, um, in the trenches, they've got like some some replacement-level players playing. Right. And it only takes even like adequate draft picks to like, to, to enter into their, you know, some signings, uh, it, it's not going to be hard for them to get better at all than they already are. And, you know, look, we've seen it as the Chiefs, when a team hits on quarterback, period, you are set in a way that no other team is set. Yep. And we watched that. We watched, you know, I just remember watching Burrow do that crazy scramble to get away from, you know, Jones and, and the rest of the Chiefs when he, like in the third quarter, I just remember watching that going, I laughed out loud and just literally thought, oh, that's what it's like watching the Chiefs. Like, that's just like, right. Like, when, like, Burrow working his magic at certain moments, you're like, oh, yeah, because that's what it's like to watch Brady at times. That's what it's like to watch Rodgers at times. That's what it's like to watch Mahomes at times. And now Joe Burrow's into that same territory. And there are probably 24 NFL teams every year scratching their heads going, how do I get that guy? How do I get one of those guys? Yeah. So, you know, the, yeah, the, the Bengals are great, and but they're going to get a lot better. 
and um, and I I think that's a scary proposition. I, I, you know, the AFC North is going to look a lot like the AFC West right now. Um, yeah given the state of teams there, especially at quarterback. Yeah, I think so too. All right, we're, 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 we're running up against the clock here. The last thing that I wanted to ask you, Matt, and maybe we know the answer to this question, has the rest of the AFC, or or, or the, at least AFC contenders, have they caught up with the Chiefs? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think the road is going to run through, you know, KC until, I was going to say till it doesn't, but it doesn't this year. Yeah. Um, but even then, I'm I'm still not convinced. I'm sure that's the homer in me. I can't separate that. I can't I can't, I can't pretend yeah. to be unbiased and then say the Chiefs. So I will just say I know I'm biased when I say that the Chiefs are the best team. They've got a hell of a GM. They've got an excellent organizational culture that where its own area scouts know exactly what their positional coaches need on the field. And there's such honest and direct communication going on that that's why the draft was so good. That's why, you know, they sign a McKinnon and he comes through like he did. That's why the offensive line rebuild for the Chiefs takes one year and it takes five years and they're still trying in New York. Yeah, I, I just have a hard time not backing. It's, you know, it's going to be for me, it's going to be the Chiefs as supreme every year. I hope you're right, man. I think it's going to be a bloodbath. I, I think when I look around at, as you said, it's all about the quarterback. And I've seen enough now from I've seen enough now from Josh Allen to 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 figure he's sticking around, right? Like this wasn't a one year fluke. The dude's sticking around. He did lose his offensive coordinator. Dayball is apparently very uh, influential, but he's sticking around. I mean, a couple years when I say catching up, I think a couple years ago I was like I was worried about Brady, but then he left, and then I was worried about Lamar Jackson, and I wasn't worried about anybody else, like any other quarterbacks or any other teams. I was like, man, the Chiefs have got some nice runway here. Like they're, they're clearly the elite team with the elite quarterback. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, Herbert's here. Couple years, Herbert, Herbert's good. Lamar Jackson's going to come back healthy. They win a shit ton of regular season games and, and they can, they could snipe anybody in, in, the, in a playoff game. So you're going to have to worry about them. And then, and then you got the bills and now you got Burrow. Uh, so, and then of course, you know, the Titans, like I was never worried about Tannehill. That's why I was like, oh yeah, like I'm not really worried because our quarterback's so clearly better than Ryan Tannehill. And I do think Mahomes is is the best player in football. And I do think he's better than all those all those gentlemen I just mentioned. But I don't think the gap, like I think they're very, very good quarterbacks. And I don't think the gap is so wide between a, a Mahomes and a and, and Burrow, what Burrow I think will eventually become, and Herbert and Allen, that like any of those guys can't potentially if their teams play well beat him in a playoff game so that's you know that's that's worrisome and then and then who knows what russell wilson and aaron Rodgers like god if aaron Rodgers comes even for a couple seasons of the afc i think it's just going to be a, a bloodbath it's going to be really really tough obviously you back your guy and you back your team and, and the chiefs have, have won some amazing games but you know the, the the playoffs were a lot different this year than they were last year for the chiefs chiefs coasted in their playoff games and this year it was two overtime games um, with two uh, two upstart quarterbacks so it's gonna be we're gonna get to see a lot of good football and I think the Chiefs will win more often than not but it's it, it could it's the, it's definitely the new era is here at least in the AFC the NFC you know I don't know what's happening out there <laughs> <laughs> no I I agree I think it's great but um I think it's good for us as football fans it's exciting yes. it's exciting football to be sure yeah yeah yeah, it's, there's going to be some epic playoff matchups. We will be here all for it. I want to thank everybody for hanging with us on a Tuesday night. We'll be back on Thursday. Uh, we're going to keep this schedule. Uh, that's the plan for this foreseeable future. 5 o'clock Central Time on Tuesdays and Thursdays right here on YouTube. And, of course, you can always get this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever else you listen to your audio content. If you're not able to watch in person, you want to listen to us while you're working out, God bless you. You can download it. If you head over to Apple Podcasts and you leave us a review, five-star review, please, uh, a written review, ask us a question. If you, if you if there's a topic you want to hear us talk about, it's a long off-season. We're going to be talking about the Chiefs. We're going to be talking about our favorite foods, all kinds of crap. Uh, and, of course, Casey Beer. Don't forget about Casey Beer Co. We'll be talking about all of it. We'll be ramping up for the draft coverage, free agency, the contract talks, all of that stuff. Vertoram and I will be at the Super Bowl next week, so we'll probably do something from there. That'll be fun. Unfortunately, we won't be covering the Chiefs. Um, but appreciate you all. Thank you so much. Any parting words, Matt Connor? Winning is hard. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. Make sure you're reading arrowheadaddict.com every day, all day. Matt Connor and the crew over there, a lot of great writers. 
have it on lockdown, you're going to be able to get all the perspectives on the Chiefs, not just one-sided perspectives. A lot of different writers with a lot of different takes. That's that's what that site was built on. Um, smart football analysis. So make sure you check it out. And if, uh, if if it's not on Arrowhead Addict, then it's not important uh, if it's in regards to the Chiefs. So they cover everything. So make sure you're there every day. Um, he's at, at Matt Connor AA. I'm at, at R Patrick Allen. And you can, of course, follow at Arrowhead Addict. We appreciate you guys. To the members, we will see you guys in the Discord. And uh, everybody else will see you on Thursday. But until then, go Chiefs. Chiefs.